morning. Five days from Christmas. There's your public service announcement for all you husbands and fathers who haven't done your shopping yet. Five days. It's all you get, right? And as you get closer and closer to Christmas Day, the sounds of Christmas all around us are getting louder and louder, right? And I hope that as you've been here through this Advent season, as we're heading up to Christmas, I hope that the sounds of the manger have been growing louder in your ears and in your life as well, right? We've been looking at that. We've been talking about that because the night of Jesus' birth was not a silent night. Right? The night of Jesus' birth was a night that echoes through eternity. It echoes God's message through this world. It echoes God's message right into our lives still today. I hope we're hearing that. If you've been here, you know that we've talked about the echo of the cross that, that resonates from the manger. Right? We, we, we experience Christmas, we experience Jesus' birth with the whole story in mind. You can't stop just at the manger. You can't stop with a birth. You've got to go on. You've got to know the whole story. There's a cross, a sacrifice. There's a tomb that's empty. At Christmas, at the beginning, the echo of the cross and the echo of the empty tomb needs to ring out of the manger. Last week, we, we heard the echo of Jesus' life as this manger calls us to change our daily lives because God cares so much more than just about your beginning and your end, eternity. Jesus came not only to give you eternity, but he came to change your life here today. And so from the manger, from this birth, we hear the echo of God saying, here's how I want to shape your life. Here's how I want to transform you into a life filled with meaning and purpose. And now this morning, the Sunday before Christmas Day, we hear the echo of God's grace coming from the manger. Only this echo this morning, the echo of God's grace, is different than these other two. Because unlike the echo of the cross, and unlike the echo of Jesus' life, this message cannot be clearly heard by everyone. That some cannot hear the message of grace at all. It's kind of like, kind of like those dog whistles you can buy, right? You, you ever had when you blow a dog whistle and the dog hears it, no human being does. It's a frequency that we don't get and they do. That's the message of grace, right? I experienced that when I was first, first a young pastor, an intern in Merced, my very first office. So I moved to Merced, California, as an intern and. And they graciously emptied out a storage closet and called it my office for me. That's what you get when you're an intern. You get an empty storage closet. And I shared that empty storage closet with the fire panel. You know, the fire panel that, that runs the whole electrical fire system. And so as I shared that office with that fire panel, I realized that that, that panel let off this high-pitched squeal that every day I went home with a headache. And so I said, I said to the rest of the staff, come listen to this. And they came into my my storage closet office, and half of them said, I don't hear anything. You can't hear that? They couldn't hear it. Half of them couldn't hear it. Right? The echo of God's grace coming from the manger is only heard by certain people. Not everybody's ears are tuned to it. Right? And there's an Old Testament verse that tells us 
Who can hear this grand message of grace and who can't? Right? This is a verse, an Old Testament verse that's quoted twice in the New Testament by, by two different people. Rather unusual. So you pay attention when, when that happens. It's Proverbs 3, verse 34, which is quoted both by James and by Peter. And it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Think about that for a moment. Just that line. Our humility is what opens us up to God's grace. And our pride is what makes us deaf to the message of grace through Jesus Christ. We can't hear it. We can't experience it. And we certainly can't receive it when we are proud. Right? It is humility that opens our ears. It is humility that opens our hearts. It's humility that opens our hands to experience the amazing grace of God given through his son, Jesus Christ. Humility. A character trait that, that we don't pay a whole lot of attention to. A character trait that our society doesn't appreciate. But it's humility that is absolutely vital to experiencing the saving grace of God. In fact, if you read the book of James, James, one of the ones who quotes this verse, he not only points back to the truth found in Proverbs 3.34, but he adds to it when he writes, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his position. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his position. In God's upside-down perspective, humility is something to take a healthy pride in. Maybe we, can, we can see this truth of the value of humility shown all throughout the stories in this book, right? Throughout history, when God has a special task that he wants to accomplish, and when God is looking for a special person to accomplish this special task, he does not look for the greatest person on earth and the most gifted. He does not look for the person with the most strength and the most skill. He doesn't look for the most intellectually savvy or politically wise. No. He looks for the humble. That's the characteristic that God cares about. That's, that's the person that God can use. Think about, think about Moses. Right, the, the historic hero from the Old Testament, still high re, highly revered as one of the, the heroes of Israel, right? Do you remember where God, where he was when God called him to use him to lead his people out of Egypt? Who he was when he stood at that burning bush? He was a convicted murderer in Egypt who was content to be a nobody farmer watching sheep out in the middle of the desert of Midian. He was nobody. He was nothing. Yes, yes, you probably know the history. God prepared him 
by having Pharaoh's own daughter pluck him from the basket of the Nile River, growing him up in Pharaoh's household. But those days were long ago. And, and that isn't the characteristic that God points to when he chooses Moses. Instead, we are told, and this is from, from the book of Numbers, it says Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. It was his humility that qualified him to be used powerfully by God. So think about Moses. Think about the very first king of Israel. Remember, Israel begs God to give them a king because they want to be just like the nations all around them. And God finally relents and he chooses Saul to be the very first king of Israel. And it comes time to make him king. And the whole nation is gathered to, to coronate this first king. And they're ready to go with the whole coronation. And nobody can find Saul. They look all over the place and he's nowhere to be found. And finally they inquire of God as to where he is. Because they realize that you can't play hide and seek with God. God always knows where you are. And God says to him, he's over hiding. He's hiding behind the baggage. Guys. Saul started as anything but proud. It was his humility that, that allowed him to be used by God. And when, when pride does overwhelm Saul's life, God looks to someone else. And he looks to David. David, who ultimately becomes Israel's greatest king, right? And he's characterized by humility. David is the youngest of Jesse's sons. And when, Saul, and when Samuel, the prophet, comes to visit to, to choose one of Jesse's sons to be the next king, he's not even invited to the party. He's not even invited to the dinner. Right? All of his older brothers are there because they are tall and handsome and wise. And, and Dave, the little brother, is out in the field watching the sheep. He's not even invited to dinner. He starts so humbly, so lowly. And God uses him. God pours his grace into him. In his own song of praise that David wrote, he says, you save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You save the humble. And then comes Jesus, born in the manger, right? The son of David, of the line of David. And he continues this very same family trait. God works out his spectacular salvation plan through his son, Jesus. And yet, yet when Jesus is invited, when Jesus is speaking and, and, and he, he describes himself, he can pick any adjective that he wants to describe himself. He doesn't pick powerful. He doesn't pick mighty. He doesn't pick strong. He doesn't pick courageous or wise, even though all of those adjectives would work, right? Instead, he says... He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That's who I am. I'm humble. That's who God uses, the humble. Psalm 149, the Lord crowns the humble with salvation. Isaiah 29, it's the humble who will rejoice in the Lord. Isaiah 66, God himself says, the one I esteem, he is humble. God gives 
grace to the humble. And that is why God chooses Mary in his salvation plan. Because of her humility, God can give his grace to her. I mean, take out your Bibles if you haven't already. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we get to meet Mary, a young, nondescript, teenage Jewish girl who in this chapter gets a shocking and troubling visit from an angel. An angel who tells her that she is going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. And throughout this whole encounter with the angel, we get a picture of this humble, quiet young girl who's simply trying to understand, who's simply trying to process all that's going on in this moment and in her life. And she ends this supernatural conversation with the angel by, by just humbly submitting herself to God's will in verse 38. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Here I am. I'll do what God asks. But what I want us to hear this morning, what I want us to read together, is the song then that Mary sings a few weeks later. Because this song reveals her heart to us. It reveals to us why God chose her. You see, Mary goes on to visit her relative Elizabeth, and, and Elizabeth is, is either her cousin or her aunt. We aren't exactly sure which one, but she obviously is a trusted friend and confidant for Mary. And, and Elizabeth, too, is miraculously pregnant because she's much older, has never had any children, has been barren all of her life, and God gives her a son. And her son will be John the Baptist, who, who will prepare the way for Jesus. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And while there, Mary reveals her heart in a song that we now know as the Magnificat. I want you to listen to Mary's song. Start at verse 46. These are Mary's words. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. There's Mary's song. And Mary's song, while recounting the the goodness of God to his people Israel throughout history. This song is really about God's goodness and grace to her. It's an intensely personal song, one that, that she shared with Elizabeth and that she chose then to share with us as well because it reveals her heart. It reveals her soul. And we get to see a glimpse of Mary's heart right at the very beginning where she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, 
My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for, and here it is, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. She glorifies God for the simple fact that in his grace, he has chosen her. Of all the women in Israel at that time, of all the ladies of prestige and honor, of all the women God could have chosen, the wealthy, the powerful, the politically positioned, and they were there. But God didn't choose them. He chooses a simple, unworthy teenage girl from a no-name town and says, that's the one I'm going to use. That's the one I choose. That's the one I'm going to give this great honor to. Why? Because they've known ever since the Old Testament, God gives grace to the humble. There's nothing that Mary did to deserve this great honor. Right? She, she recognizes and she admits that right at the front of her song there. She recognizes that she's simply receiving God's grace here. It is her humility that allows her to do that. Right? She recognizes her own unworthiness immediately in verse 48, right? She praises God and she says, and she says why, why am I praising God? Because he's been mindful of the humble state of this servant she admits that she's undeserving. She doesn't say, look at me, everybody. Look at how, how great I am. Look at how I have earned this right and deserve this privilege. No. She's admitting she's totally undeserving of this. She's totally unworthy. She has nothing of value to offer God here. And there's no reason that she gives. There's no reason why he should choose her. There's no qualifications given. And that humility is what allows her to hear God's echo of grace and to receive God's grace, this undeserved blessing. Because God gives grace to the humble. And that's the way God still works today. Humility empowers you. Humility empowers me to hear and receive God's offer of grace. And pride makes us deaf. Pride convinces us that we don't need God's grace. Right? Pride convinces us we don't need God's grace because we're good enough. We're good enough on our own. I'm worthy enough. I'm deserving enough. I'm good enough. God, here are all my credentials of why you should appreciate me, of why I deserve your grace. Pride steals God's glory from him, and God will not allow that to happen. God will not allow anything or anyone to steal his glory. Here's Mary with nothing to offer. Her hands are open and empty before God. There's no power here to offer. There's no wealth. There's no honor. 
And it's these empty hands that make it possible to receive grace. And too many of us today have hands that are too filled with our own pride. And it makes, us, makes it impossible for us to receive God's grace. Right? We stand before God with, with hands that are full of good deeds. That we think are certain to impress God. God, look at what all I've done for you. And our hands are full of our own abilities and our own capabilities, right? God, look at how I put my life together and I've been successful. Aren't you impressed, God? And our hands are full of our own wealth. And that, that convinces us that, that we've got control. Our hands are full. And until we lay all those things down before God, until we turn these hands over and let it all come crashing down, and until we come to God with empty hands, recognizing our emptiness, recognizing our unworthiness, recognizing that there's nothing that we have done or can do to be worthy before God, until then we will not be able to receive the grace he wants to give us. We will not be able to receive the blessings he fully wants to bestow. Until we learn humility, we will not be able to receive his grace because we won't be able to admit that we need it. God gives grace to the humble. You and I need to learn humility. We need to learn how to be honest about ourselves and with ourselves. We need to honestly come to the point where we admit that we deserve nothing. That we have nothing to offer to God that he needs. That we have nothing to be proud of when we step into God's presence. Yeah, we, we say those words. But back in the back of our minds, we say, yeah, you know, but I've got something. I know God really does appreciate what I'm doing for him. Until we reach a point where we say, nothing I do, nothing I do is worthy of anything. Right? All these treasures that we hold on to, all these good deeds, all these great spiritual assets that, that we think will impress God. Right? Paul tells us what they are. They're dirty rags. They are rags. And when we humbly lay them down before God, then we will be able to hear God's offer of grace echoing from the manger. Then we will be able to receive the true treasure, the grace of God that reaches down and saves us, not because we're worthy to be saved, but that saves us simply because God loves us. God so loved the world. God so loved you and me that he sent his only son. Then we'll be able to hear that message. God gives grace to the humble. And when we get that right, when you and I finally learn to receive God's grace through true humility, then we will also experience the privilege of delivering God's grace, just like Mary did, in humility. Mary, Mary literally delivered God's grace into the world when Jesus was born. 
a unique and special calling. But no less than that, we are now given the opportunity to deliver God's grace into the world, into a world that needs him to come alive for them again. As, as we read Mary's song here, Mary celebrates the grace that God has given to, the to his people in the past. Right? God has a long history of delivering his grace to his people. She celebrates how he has extended mercy to them, performed mighty deeds, lifted up the humble, scattered the proud. He's filled the hungry. He's helped his servants. He's done that all through his people, right? Through his grace given to, to, to his people. And now Mary is taking her place. She has the privilege of taking her place in this history and deliver God's grace to those who are humble enough to hear it. And receive it. Right? Think about this. John's poetic version of Jesus' birth. He doesn't give us facts. He gives us a poem, right? And in his poetic version, he tells us that Jesus, in Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. Okay, the word became flesh, full of grace. The grace of God becomes human. The grace of God is delivered to this earth, to these people in Jesus. Delivered to all who are humble enough to receive him. Now, if we are humble enough to receive him, then we too will have the servant heart to deliver that grace as Mary did. Because this world around us this world around us, if we have eyes to see at all, we will see that they are desperate for the grace of God. Right from the millions of refugees who have been forced to their homes to the neighbor who lives right next door to you, every person desperately needs to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And they need to experience the grace of God often delivered through human flesh, through you and through me. That's how God has chosen to let his message of grace echo through the world today. In, in Mary's day, he let his echo, echo of grace be heard in, in the physical person of Jesus, his son, the embodiment of grace. And now as we walk in Jesus' footsteps, we today are the embodiment of grace to a world that's desperate to hear it. Jesus Christ comes alive again is born again when we let his word come alive in us and then take on human flesh in us and we become deliverers of grace, deliverers of truth, just as Jesus was. Our lives echo the message of grace from that manger into the world today. And to be a deliverer of grace, as you and I are called to do, to receive it and deliver it, that demands humility as well. Because it's pride. It's our pride that keeps us from giving God's grace to a desperate world, to a desperate neighbor, to a desperate friend. Because pride tells us that it's enough simply to receive grace 
for myself and not to give it. And pride tells us to bitterly hold on to offenses and wrongs done to us, to stay the victim rather than give grace and forgiveness. And pride tells us that we've earned all that we've gotten and it's ours to hoard rather than to give. Pride makes us hoarders of grace rather than givers of grace. God gives grace to the humble and then God gives grace through the humble. So this Christmas, not just this Christmas, but all throughout eternity, the echo of grace rings from this manger. Some can hear it clearly, some can't. Because only the humble can clearly hear this song of grace. Only the humble can sing the song of grace. Right? So in humility, Mary received what she in no way deserved or earned. And in humility, she delivered God's grace to this world, to you and to me. And now we follow her lead, you and I do. In humility, we receive God's forgiving grace that we have in no way earned or deserved. And in humility, we now deliver God's forgiving grace to this world and to each other, to this community. So God's echo of grace is reverberating loudly to this world. Yet so many people in this world are deaf to its message. Honestly, probably many of us in this room are deaf to its message. Because our pride and our self-sufficiency and our arrogance before God has filled our minds, has filled our hearts, has filled our hands so completely that we can't receive it. We can't hold on to it because we're busy holding on to everything else. And yet today, if you and I are able to, to empty our hands and empty the noise of this world and the noise of our pride, and we're, we're able to tune our ears to the song of God's grace coming from the manger, it will force us to ask two questions for ourselves. Right? This, this Baby child Jesus, God is God's grace offered freely to all who will hear it, to all who will receive it. When you hear that song, you need to answer, am I humble enough to receive it? Am I humble enough to give it? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace notes that echo through a desperate world, that echo into our desperate lives. My guess is, Father, many of us here this morning would not describe our lives as desperate. We're anything but desperate. We're controlled, we're successful, we're secure, we're safe. We are able. And yet, Father, we are so desperate. We are desperate for your grace. Because we're helpless 
when it comes to our spiritual lives. We are helpless to save ourselves. We are helpless to change our lives and to experience a taste of heaven here on earth. We are desperate to hear your grace notes echoing into our lives. So Father, maybe some of us here have never emptied our hands and our hearts of the things that we're so proud of. We've never humbled ourselves before you. Or maybe some of us have done that and, and yet still we're, we're tempted to gather up in our hands the things of this world. Father, for all of us in this moment, give us the courage to turn our hands upside down and put all those things we're so proud of fall to the wayside. So that we'd be empty enough to recognize our own unworthiness and in humility receive your grace and be changed by you. May we be grace receivers, Father. And may we be grace givers. Jesus, come alive in us. And may grace take on human form now through each one of us. May grace take on human form through this community called Iverness Church. May grace take on human form through your church scattered all around this world. Father, thank you for giving grace to the humble. In Jesus' name we pray.